Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where the discussion ranges from employee safety, environmental protection, policy creation, training methods, employee engagement, and everything in between. Your host is Dr. Mark French. As an industrial and organizational psychologist and certified safety professional, he's going to share information and anecdotes from years of experience in the people side of safety. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It is a motivational need that defines the culture of your organization. Employee safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone through direct behavioral engagement. That is why your organization should be using safety as a key method to learn about your culture and lead your teams. Thanks for joining this episode as we talk through current issues in EHS and how they impact our everyday workplace. Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. So happy you could join me. Uh, Glad you could be here. Hope you're doing well. I know uh, we're over a year now in the world of COVID. Things are starting to get back to some kind of normal, or it feels that way. But I hope you're taking care of yourself. That's a huge thing, self-care. It feels like that we can ignore that so easily during this time period. And this has taken a very large mental and emotional toll on everyone. This has been a very difficult time, so I do hope you are uh, doing well as uh, this time continues and hopefully starts to get better. So this episode of the podcast, uh, OSHA released there for fiscal year, and I'm sure if you've been looking at any safety news, this is out there, the fiscal year 2020 top 10 OSHA violations for manufacturing. And what's interesting is that, you know, if you really thought about it, and uh, I think you could have almost predicted these, if you sat down and did a little think tank, and started looking at things, I have a feeling that there was probably a good chance that we could have predicted these. Um, And I think we'll see the same. I predict a very similar um, statistical process for next year or this year, technically. I think these are going to be the same things we're going to see. And it revolves mostly around COVID. Uh, some of these are pretty common anyway because um, they're normal. <laughs> we still see these uh, happening, but the overall arching theme would be COVID. When you think about COVID and you think about what OSHA can cite and why, I mean, honestly, they can cite these items and they're the right items to cite and they cover what we should be covering for COVID. I know there's been a lot of talk about emergency legislation and new OSHA laws to cover what COVID could be doing. We have the laws in place. Uh, we have the guidance, and I think a lot of it should have been focused on training rather than new laws. Uh, that's my personal opinion, of course. Um, but I think there was enough law there, and I think this proves that there was enough law there. I think what we needed was education and training of how to apply these laws to this changing environment of COVID, which is disappointing that we didn't get that. Uh, We got all this um, shouting and yelling about we need more laws, we need more regulation, when really, um, as a safety professional, I was looking for, well, how do I apply the laws that are already in place to what is happening in the new scope of our landscape of what we do as safety professionals? Because this was 
uh, just unparalleled times for what we were involved in and still is. We're still learning. Things are still changing uh, state by state, city by city. It's all so different. But let's jump into this. I can go on all day about how things are going to be different because of COVID and how things are different. But the first OSHA standard, um, no surprise here. Number one, uh, no written hazard communication program. Wow. So, of course, OSHA's first thing they're going to ask is about, well, what are you doing for disinfecting? Well, we have this super-duper new cleaner we got, or we had to find a new cleaner. Um, okay, well, show me your program that says how you're going to introduce this to your workforce. Program? Didn't know I needed that. Interesting, because a written HASCOM program has been something that we've needed for decades. This is not new. Yeah, MSDS to SDS has changed. It changed the format a little bit. But as far as having a written program of how you manage your chemicals and how you talk to your team and educate your team on chemical hazards has not changed. And surprisingly, this is still a very common, even outside of COVID years, this is a very common citation. And it's, there's so many. So if you're out there and you're thinking to yourself, hey, you know, the safety guy makes some sense. And, you know, we haven't really thought about safety, but now we are. Thanks to this awesome podcast. There are some great stock templates out there for a hazard communication program. Go out there and grab it. Um, Fill in the blanks with your team. Read it. See what it says about what you should be doing for HASCOM. And if you are a seasoned safety professional, this is a great time and a great reminder to reread your HASCOM program to make sure it's working, to make sure you're actually doing what it says and that maybe you've improved. Maybe you've improved your practice on how you manage chemicals or how you educate on chemicals. Uh, Improve your program with that. Add that in there. Take credit for the awesome things you were doing in your organization. And I think that's the way I've always looked at it is that uh, a lot of times when I've come into turnarounds or startups, we'll be doing things first because that's where, I mean, that's where you help people by doing. So let's go do it. Let's put these changes in place. Let's make improvement. And then we'll take a breath. And we'll go back and fill in the details later in our written programs. So maybe this is a perfect reminder for you to go back and think about the great things you've done to improve your HASCOM program and add that in there. Take time to put that in there. So very interesting. Uh, not surprising uh, that this sparked OSHA to really deep dive HASCOM because we were bringing in a lot of new chemicals. Um, hand sanitizer just disappeared there for a while. And I've talked about this a little bit before, but it's been a while. But our distilleries, local distilleries, really stepped up. I know there was one local to my community. There was one near some of the workplaces I uh, needed to fulfill for uh, to get hand sanitizer. And distilleries switched over to making hand sanitizer based on guidance from the CDC and such. And some of the distillery-like groups actually published safety data sheets and said, hey, if you're buying our, this, like, if it's a bourbon distillery and they have converted to hand sanitizer, here is a template for a safety data sheet. Just plug in at the location that you bought your hand sanitizer from and you can print this and save it and you will have an SDS for your brand new hand sanitizer. It was fantastic. Uh, those organizations really stepped up to fill a need. 
Um, they would help our communities. I know the one locally for me, if you brought your own bottle, they'd fill it up for you. Um, it was great. Uh, really appreciate that. And then the organization, like their, their trade organization stepped up and helped make sure that we were compliant. So the resources were there. Um, but still not a surprise that uh, we were hit with that this year because OSHA was looking at how you were now disinfecting, how you were cleaning, how you were providing, and then how were you educating your team on these new products that you were bringing into the workplace. And so nothing has really changed there. But this is, again, I think for me, this was the trigger I needed to go back and go, okay, let me make sure that I'm in compliance with what I should be doing with my hazard communication program. Is our safety data sheets up to date? Uh, have we done anything that we needed updated? And again, uh, if you're if you're new to it and you're you want to be compliant, reach out there. Uh, there's some really neat programs. So the next one was no surprise either. It was respirator medical clearance evaluation. Ooh, now that's a deep topic, uh, and there's a lot of ways this can be messed up, especially if you're not paying attention to what was going on. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to take a breath, uh, take a little pause here, and we will be right back to talk about OSHA's top 10 on the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. You've got a friend in the safety business. Who wants to help your team work safer? The safety dude. Who wants to help your leadership engage through safety? Again, the safety dude. Who is there to take your safety systems to the next level? That's right, the safety dude. Who has the knowledge and skill to drive safety ownership? You know it, the safety dude. So who is the safety dude? Dr. Mark French is an experienced and credentialized safety professional with a focus on the organizational psychology of your company. You can find a safety dude at TSD Amalgamated Safety Consulting, where he is ready to focus on your team's safety. www.tsdamalgamated.com. Welcome back to the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Today, we're talking about the OSHA Top 10 for Manufacturing Fiscal Year 2020. Not a lot of surprises. So right before that little pause, uh, we were talking about medical clearance for respirators. And what's interesting is that there there is the provision for voluntary use of respirators. So we've had this huge mask thing going on. Um, wear a mask. That's That's been the, the mantra for quite some time. And there was debate on, should I wear an N95? Should I wear just a cloth mask? Should I wear a neck gaiter? <laughs> Lots of different options. And there for quite a while, there was a shortage of respirators, N95 disposable respirators. And we asked to reserve those for our first responders and for our medical professionals. What's interesting, if you don't do it voluntarily and have people sign off that they're wearing an upgraded piece of respiratory protection. So instead of a dust mask, instead of a neck gaiter, instead of that paper surgical mask that they voluntarily want to wear an N95, um, if they don't sign off on the fact that they're going to be voluntarily using it, they're in a respirator program. If you're handing out N95s and you're expecting them to wear them, they're in a respirator program. And there has to be a medical clearance for that. It's not super difficult, but there has to be documentation of it. And the fact that we missed this with this huge ramp up of 
requiring uh, face coverings to protect us uh, for this time of COVID is not surprising. Uh, really not that surprising that we would have a lot of misses in the department of, yeah, we've we've gone above and beyond. And, and I can see an organization doing it and doing the right thing or thinking they're doing the right thing by providing this upgraded PPE only to come find out that uh, they didn't follow the process correctly and now they have a citation for it. Number three, the general duty clause, uh, 5A1. So we expected that there would be a lot of general duty citations for COVID and not protecting your team during COVID. So um, that is really not unexpected, but that was number three. Number four ties right into number one, hazard communication training. So no surprise, if you don't have a program, you're probably also not training people. So my guess is those went back to back. So just a reminder, if you have a program, you got to train on it. And when we went to the SDS process, there were some new items you do have to train on just for awareness. You got to have that poster. You got to talk about some of the signs and how to read it in the new format of the safety data sheet. So might want to take a look at that. Make sure your training is uh, up to where it needs to be and that you're documenting it. Uh, that's important. You can be doing training and not have the sign offs and uh, you've done the right thing. But OSHA not going to really approve of that. And the next one ties into the earlier one again, respirator fit testing. So uh, if you're going to have a respirator medical clearance program, you also got a fit test. Make sure that it works. Make sure you're getting that seal. Because, I mean, I, I typically have a beard. Um, and so when I'm wearing a respirator, it's less effective. Uh, so I'm voluntarily wearing it. Um, like if I'm mowing the yard even, um, it's less effective than someone who's clean shaven. Because it's not making that skin contact. It's leaving gaps for air to get in. So that's why you do the fit test to make sure that you're getting that seal, that protection, unless it's voluntary. Hospitalization. The next one was hospitalization within 24 hours, reporting that. So I, there is no doubt there was tons and tons and tons of confusion on, is this work related? Is it not? Um, how do I categorize it? And OSHA did a good job of continually pushing out FAQs on, like, what does it mean to be work-related COVID? How do you report? When do you report? But it was just so much at once. There's no doubt um, that there was some of it that slipped through the crack. There's some good companies that let some things slide, probably. But on the flip side, there's probably a lot of companies or a few out there, unfortunately, that looked at it and said, you know, it's probably not work-related. Yeah, let's let it ride. Don't call them. And they got caught with it. Because there was, the whistleblower claims are still being investigated. There were so many during that time period last year, continuing into this year. That's no, we're still in it. We're still de still dealing with, dealing with it. I'll get that out. Um, and yet, so it's happening. We know there are some practices out there that are not right in the safety world. And there's organizations that are taking advantage of it. That is, yeah, unspeakable. Because our goal in the safety world is protect our team, whether it be from a virus, whether it be from physical hazards, whether it be from noise. That's our job. And that's what we do. And we take a lot of pride in it. Um, and it's sad to see some organizations out there that take advantage of that. So, mm. A lot of them are getting caught with that because of these whistleblower claims and complaints in general. 
So the next one was written respiratory program. So my guess is that you probably didn't have a written program, or if you did, you had one you printed off the internet and you didn't implement it. You didn't read it to see that, oh, I'm supposed to fit test. I'm supposed to medically clear these people, but I printed it off. Yeah. So the next thing was that written respiratory program. Got to have it. If you're going to be giving respirators, even if you're not, and there's a chance they'll be wearing a dust mask or the voluntary program, you need a program that says that they're going to sign off on the voluntary process. Um, so something to look out there, something to think about, make sure you have that program. It's important. Um, a lot of these written programs are necessary, but make sure you're implementing them too. Uh, read through them. Uh, it's, it's fine. There's a lot of really good information on the internet. Um, that you can just print and use, but make sure you read it and use it the right way. The next one was protection for fall hazards. So fall hazards are common. We see that almost every year. Workspace around electrical equipment. So that's that three feet of space around your uh, panels, just not blocking your stuff. And that's uh, a lot of housekeeping. And housekeeping is so important to safety because if everything has a place and everything is in its place, Hopefully it's not blocking an electrical panel. Hopefully you've marked those areas off and you're auditing them. You know, the inspect what you expect. Walk around and look at your electrical panels. If they're commonly getting stuff in front of them or blocked up in, in near them, we try something different or talk to people or fix it. And then unobstructed exit routes. Again, common. I'm sure as they're doing these investigations, things get piled up. And it only takes a moment because how, how long can you block an exit according to OSHA? None at all. <laughs> Can't even for a moment. You can pass by it in movement, but if you stop and block it, um, even for a moment, uh, they, can, they can cite that. So we don't want to block our exits. And I know that's very, uh, it seems very common in a lot of retail organizations and other manufacturing because you're looking at where do we put all this stuff? We'll just drop it there for now. We'll come back to it in a moment. So it happens that these types of things occur. So that was the OSHA top 10. Man, the for top, top seven, uh, the biggest ones there were really related to COVID this year. So again, thanks for joining me on this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. And until we chat again, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the web at www.thesafetydude.org. All opinions expressed on the program are solely the view of the individual and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast.